if I was really outspoken and I didn't care what people thought of me, I would probably be a lot like Temi. I'm sure a lot of us would. But I'm human and I'm fallible, so I care what people think. So I, I might think some of the things she thinks, but I don't say them out loud. I'm Nathan Maharaj, and this is Kobo in Conversation. My guest is Ore Agbaje-Williams, author of the new novel, The Three of Us. It's a story about three people, a husband, a wife, and the wife's friend, who is definitely not the husband's friend as well. It's a wickedly funny book told through three voices in tension with one another and possibly also objective reality. Ore Agbaje-Williams, welcome to Kobo. Thank you so much. That was a great intro. <laughs> How do you describe the three of us? Ooh, okay. I had to practice this for a long time because before, um, you know, there was a cover and we'd start doing any promo. Sometimes I would go out with my friend Amara and we joke that my friend Amara is like my wife because we're like, we come as a, we come as a pair now at this point. Um, and we would go out somewhere and someone would say, oh, what's your book about? And I would start to speak and then I'd be like, uh, and Amara would be like, oh God, that's a terrible pitch. I'm going to do the pitch. <laughs> so she would do a great pitch. Um, every writer needs an Amara. Honestly, every writer needs an Amara. Um, and I think she got to the point where she was like, this is embarrassing. It's your book. You need to know how to pitch it. So um, I practiced. <laughs> so I would describe the three of us as a novel that asks the question of what would you do if your two favorite people, your partner or your, and your best friend hated each other? Um, and it's set over the course of one day and it's told from all three of their perspectives. First the wife, then a the husband, then the best friend. And it also asks the question of how we see each other and who decides what the truth is and who decides who we really are. Is it us or is it the people who interact with us? We get to know the friend, Temi. We get to know her name. We're, um, we're, we're very familiar with her. We, we don't know anybody else's name. Tell me about that decision. <laughs> I, I love this question because people, I think at first people are like, it must've been a deliberate literary decision. <laughs> there are two answers. One answer is that yes, it was. But the first answer is that I just couldn't think of names for them. Um, I couldn't think of names that fit. I couldn't think of names that made me think, yes, this that name really defines this person. I could hear them, you know, coming up with cute nicknames for each other kind of thing. I just couldn't think of any names. And then I thought to myself, actually, these people, these two people see each other very much as their roles. So the wife very much sees her husband as a husband, and that's what he is to her. And in the same way, the husband sees his wife as a wife. That's that's her relation to him. That's his role. That's her role to him. Um, and so I thought that actually works so perfectly. And then for Temi, there's a, there's a distance between her and her husband when she refers to it as my friend's husband or like that man. She doesn't want to give him any personality or personhood. She's like, he's like, he's a thing and he's there and He's related to this other thing that I really like, but this this thing I don't like, I don't want to be related to that. Um, she doesn't want any familiarity between them. And then for the wife, she's like, that's my friend. And that the word alone, my friend, you know, that that's someone that means something to her and that's a more personal sort of reaction. So on the one hand, I just couldn't think of anything, but on the other hand, then it made a lot of sense not to. <laughs> there was it was probably your brain telling you, no, don't, don't ruin this with names. Don't yeah. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> this, this is a novel all about perspectives. It's also about presentations of self, uh, how each of these narrators really works on the reader to bring them along. Um, the wife is the first narrator, and she says something I found really striking early on about 
finding freedom in how she presents herself to her husband. And in the same passage, she's speaking about expectations put on her. One of which is that she is a married woman. She has to, she has to marry, she has to be respectable, do all those things. I found her utterly enigmatic as a character, um, but she's the character whose voice we hear first. I wonder though, is, is she an enigma to you? Ooh, that's a very good question. Um, so I, I actually like to think um, that there's a little bit of each character, not just in me, but in everybody. I think there's an element of us that, you know, we want to be seen a certain way. We want everybody in our lives to get along. Um, there's also the person in us that likes things the way that they should be. And we don't want people interfering with our business. And then there's also the person that is willing to protect the things that we love. Um, I think in in a way she is an enigma to me because I don't think I know who she is, which is going to sound strange because I wrote her, but I think, and obviously you've read the book, you know that towards the latter stages of the book um, without giving anything away. We will be spoiling nothing. That <laughs> um, there's still a question of who she is. There's a question of who everybody is. And I love an unreliable narrator. Mm. Um, I'm one of those people who actually, in on the one hand, I don't mind. Uh, I hate in TV shows actually when they're like, oh, it was all a dream. But sometimes I'm like, oh, it was all a dream. Then which parts of the dream were real kind of thing. So I love the idea of having three unreliable narrators, mm. people who present things exactly as they want you to see them. And so the wife, she presents things exactly as she wants the reader to see them um, all the way that she thinks that they are or should be, whichever it is. So there's an element of truth to everything that she says, but there's also an element of fiction and that she's making things up so that they seem the way that they should be. And, you know, she wants that peaceful life. She wants that calm. So why wouldn't she present that? So in a way she is, um, she's a bit of an enigma. And I like that because I like the kind of mystery of not knowing, so, you know, as people were always changing and evolving. So who, who are we really anyway? <laughs> I was going to say in that, as I set up that question that we, that we meet the wife first, but in a way we kind of don't because she immediately is introducing us to Temi. She, she, she slips out of the way. It's like she's on center stage and then immediately like ducks into the wings to let the spotlight uh, focus on her friend. Yeah. Um, I mean, the opening line, Temi is coming over at 12. Um, I was halfway through the book uh, when I when I just glanced at that opening page again and realized I thought it was noon, but the more I get to know this relationship and the like the the lack of healthy boundaries here, it could have been midnight. Temi could have been <laughs> just showing up. I understand that that uh, that line was there in the very first draft and somehow survived every revision. Can you can you tell me a little bit about that that sort of that weight yes. sitting on the manuscript? So <laughs> it's so funny because both my agent when I did edits with her and my UK editor they both tried to get me to change it. Um, my agent Nikki she got, tried to get me to change it to I think Tammy comes over at mid midday or. 12 p.m. one of the two and at first I changed it and I was like no actually I don't like that and so I changed it back and I was like you told me to change it and I thought about it and I decided not to do that <laughs> and she was like okay fine and then my UK editor tried to do one of the other ones whether she whether she was midday or 12 p.m. one of the two and the moment I saw that comment I was like absolutely not <laughs> I said no no way um I was like I like the short sharp element of Temi comes over at 12 it's a short it's the word 12 in itself is a shorthand you're not saying 12 p.m it's kind of colloquial in that sense and it's like the announcement of the beginning of the book 
Um, it's kind of like, it's almost like chapter one, just Temi comes over at 12. That's it. That's the beginning. And without her coming over, nothing else happens. Mm. Um, and I thought if you kind of add 12 PM or 12, whatever, or midday, I was like, it just sounds so boring and a bit gray. So we just need the short, sharp, sharpness of it. Um, and it's funny because actually advice that I give when people ask me for writing advice, I'm like, if you are holding on to one sentence or one paragraph, you should delete it because it means that you just like that paragraph and it doesn't necessarily add to the story. And then I've done the exact opposite with that line. Um, but I, I, that line felt very important to me because that's those are literally the first words that I wrote when I started writing the book. And I was like, that feels not just sentimentally important, but it feels important to the way the book goes and how um, how things transpire to have it there and have it written exactly like that as well. Mm. We don't hear from Temi directly, though, until her section. Yeah. It's the last of the three. But she is, from my reading, she's the gravitational center of the of the book. So she's she's like, she's supernatural in her persistence. Was she a fun character to write? She was, but there was there was also a lot of pressure I felt from myself because I, as I was writing The Wife and the Husband, I was like, gosh, she's so funny. Her comebacks are so quick. Like, what a cool girl. Would love to meet her. And then I was like, wait, now I have to write her. And I did feel a lot of pressure to make her funny, but also not just to make her funny, to make her a 3D person. I didn't want mm. her to just be little quips on the page. She has her, her whole, a whole story herself. She has her own backstory. She has her own life. She has her brother. She has her parents, you know. And I thought she needs to make sure that she needs to be a full, a fully formed character, not just like this 2D person with sort of funny jokes. So um, she was fun and it's actually funny, but sad. Um, when I was writing her section, I came up with a joke that I wanted to put in. There's that bit just shortly after her first sort of paragraph in her section where she's basically a list of things that describe her and define her and things that she's done. Um, and I wanted to put something in there, like a really funny insult. And I asked some of my friends, you're all on a FaceTime call. I was like, guys, what do you think of this joke? And they were like, that's not funny don't put that in. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> so, and I'm glad that they did because in hindsight, it is not funny at all. But um, <laughs> so it, she was very fun to write. And I think she's also like, if everybody, if I was really outspoken and I didn't care what people thought of me, I would probably be a lot like Temi. I'm sure a lot of us would, um, but I'm human and I'm fallible. So <laughs> I care what people think. So I, I might think some of the things she thinks, but I don't say them out loud. I heard you say in another interview that one of Temi's characteristics was to attack where whatever she disagrees with to, to, you know, to make sure the other side is, is properly vanquished and that, you know, nothing, nothing in her arm's reach is, is disagreeable to her because she will swat it down. <laughs> and I realized when you, when I heard you say that, I, 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 I saw my own perspective on Temi and realized I had been completely taken in. Um, I, I was just like, yep, she's, she's right. She's yep. You take out that guy. Who's not, who's not <laughs> with it. He's, he's wrong. Um, I don't know if that's a people pleaser in me. There's, there's, I've, I'm seeing my therapist next week. Um, she really, like, she really got to me and it, and it did it. Uh, I'm not sure had I not heard you speak about her elsewhere. Uh, I may have just, I, I she might just be still like sitting there in my throat. Like I just completely <laughs> swallowed her. <laughs> Did you think about how readers, uh, gullible as me and and more discerning than me, how they would take Temi? Ooh, sorry, all your questions are great. That's why I keep ooing. Um, <laughs> um, at the time, I don't think so, and I I honestly did not think that there would have been such visceral reactions to her. Um, you are a rare breed, unless people just are very shy on the internet. You are a rare breed. 
I think you, my editor, and a couple of my friends are the only people I know who really liked Temi. Um, in the UK, we did these like three proofs of different covers, like one with the wife, one with the best friend, one with the husband. And um, a friend of mine who's also an author, we sent her a, a copy. And she messaged me. She was like, oh, I love the book. She was like, but I need a new proof because I don't want that woman on the cover of my book. <laughs> I was like, oh, wow, I'm so sorry. Um, but no, I, I really didn't. And I think that just goes to show that when you're, especially with like my writing journey, for a while I was writing what I thought would sell well and what I thought other people would enjoy. And with this one, I just wrote what came into my head and what I really liked. And I had so much fun with it. And I think that just goes to show that when you like what you like, you're not necessarily thinking about how other people are going to perceive it. You're just enjoying the process of creating the story, creating these people. And then when you get the reactions, it's amazing and it's hilarious. <laughs> um, so I'm, I, I love, I love the reactions to Temi, whether good or bad, they are absolutely hilarious. And someone, they didn't describe her necessarily, but someone on the internet, one of my favorite tweets said, um, they would talk about reading the book and they're like, this is some of the most completely deranged drama I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> it's like that is perfect <laughs> deranged drama is the perfect way to describe it so um no I had no idea people would respond like that but I love it I think it's great do any of the reactions influence how you see her does it make you go oh huh hadn't looked at it from that angle um no they just make me they honestly they just all make me laugh <laughs> um one one of my favorite ones as well actually is a blogger who described her as a witch <laughs> that's hilarious um no and I think because and this is a very I wish I had this like I also I had therapy earlier this week so I'm with you on the therapy thing <laughs> like I think a really healthy thing that we discussed is that the book doesn't belong to me anymore once it's out there it belongs to everybody else mm. and so all their opinions of it are theirs and they belong to them and you know those characters belong to them they're yours now to like to do with what you will to call them witches to enjoy them <laughs> or to hate them whichever one um so I think I think I'm just every time I'm seeing them, I'm like, huh, that's so funny. Or like, oh, that's a really interesting perspective. I didn't think of it that way. But I think because I'm so much more invested in other people's opinions of them, it doesn't, I don't even necessarily think of mine or how they're affected or how they've changed. Actually, you know what? One thing that did change is people kept saying that they found the husband section the funniest. And I was like, I worked really hard on Temi's section. How dare you? Um, <laughs> but people are like, oh yeah, the husband section is so funny. I really like the husband. And I'm like, really? Because I, that wasn't my intention, but you go ahead. You enjoy him as much as you like. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny you, you bring that up. Um, I, I think the husband's a hilarious character. I, <laughs> I, I was reading the book and thought, oh, this is a literary novel that has some funny lines. This is like a, this is, I get it. This, we're doing like a social novel a little bit here, domestic something. And there's some funny bits. And then I got to the husband, uh, the husband section. And I was like, nope, this is a comic novel like top to bottom. <laughs> That's actually what's happening here. I may have missed some jokes, but this is, this guy is nonstop laughs. Um, <laughs> he is just, I, I took him as he's just this wonderful case of uh, someone who thinks a lot about himself. And yet, despite this has absolutely no self-awareness. <laughs> That's maybe the perfect description. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, that is absolutely correct. <laughs> I, I thought there was something like uh, my take was, was that there was something also distinctly literary about him. Like he's, he's the kind of character he has to live in literature because uh, you can't, you can't do it cin cinematically because so much ab about him is interior and it's about how he thinks about himself. 
Um, and we have to get that deep sense of, of, of how, how, how straight he thinks his spine is regardless of how sloped his shoulders may be, you know, when we see him and how, how hunched he may be, like he, he really believes he's, he's this ramrod straight, perfect thing. Um, that makes no demands on anyone. Did you see literary precedents for him though? Were you drawing on other characters, uh, comic characters or otherwise for, for, uh, for crafting the husband? I was about to ooh again and then I stopped myself. Um, <laughs> I can cut out the ooze. You know, I'm, honestly, I'm going to string them together into a super cut and make it a ringtone. That's- <laughs> and then I'll be singing an AI song somewhere soon. <laughs> I'll cut you in. You'll get royalties. Don't worry. <laughs> I, I'm trying to think if I did, because I'm like, you can unconsciously do things all the time. I don't, I don't think so. I think, well, maybe I did unconsciously. Who knows? Mm. I think I was just thinking of someone who is very by the book and believes that they are very by the book. Someone who is very proper and, you know, like you said, has this opinion of himself is is um talked about himself a lot but is very much not self-aware <laughs> and so i was just like how do i how do i make this person and i think is in my head i think he was supposed to be boring which is why when people were like oh my gosh he was so funny i was like did you read my book or did you read someone else's book <laughs> um, um but i think i think maybe some of his obs- maybe not even his observations but the way that he communicates the things that he observes are funny um I do I did really enjoy writing the bit where he's where his wife is like Kim there's people that are dying because I never thought that I would be able to reference the Kardashians in a book like that but um I'm really glad that I was able to because <laughs> I just thought it worked so perfectly like yeah first of all he's this proper man he's very well educated he's done a master's he's this and that and he's very successful and here's his wife basically telling him to shut up by quoting Courtney Kardashian um <laughs> but no I think I think he just I think I was like what is a what is a very straight laced guy and what does he sound like and what does he do and um how can I kind of take the mick out of him whilst also making him appear very sensible to himself even though mm. he doesn't maybe doesn't seem sensible to anybody else the uh, the Kardashians thing I thought was fantastic too because it was it was intimate it was one of those things that like married couples have like my wife and I, I have a bunch of shorthand uh most of it's from uh the original office from 20 years ago it's uh, there's yes. a lot there's a lot of david brent things we just say and then realize like we've just been using david brent expressions for for the past 20 minutes of this conversation um so that was that's what i loved about the kardashians thing was as out of character as it is as as random as it would seem to anybody else uh it was a uh, it's this intimate um like shibboleth of their of their of their marriage the wife narrating her section as she speaks about the husband and i loved her talking about the husband because she goes on and on and i'm like this guy could be anybody like i'm looking <laughs> over my shoulder i'm like is it me <laughs> like anyone can fit into this person she's describing it doesn't matter yeah she says my husband and i match because he expects nothing from me which is a hell of a thing um i wonder though as she speaks about what attracts her and attaches her to her husband as questionable as that. I wonder though, what attracts the wife to Temi since her friend seems to have some significant expectations of her Um, that like comes out later, but, but there's, but there's, they're not an obvious match. I wonder what the wife gets from Temi. I think what the wife gets is that Temi is who she would be if she had a backbone. Um, And so 
even when they first meet and Temi knocks that natural deodorant out of her hands and then it's like, oh, here, use this one. It's like, even though your mum, even though Temi doesn't know that her mum doesn't want her to use that one, she's like, oh, use this spray one, you know, it's fine. Even though her mum's like, no, that will give you cancer. Um, she's like, oh, she's breaking the rules and she seems really chill about it and she does what she wants. And when she makes that list of like, you know, she didn't care what anyone thought of her. She didn't care if the Nigerian girls didn't think she was Nigerian enough. She didn't care when this girl started dating her brother. She just doesn't care and she never has. And she's like, I have always cared and I've always had to care. And I've always kept silent where she always says what she thinks. And so I think maybe in a way, she either hopes that that proximity to Temi will maybe one day give her the confidence to be like Temi or... Mm. She just wants to keep someone like that around because she just likes the energy and she likes having someone around who is like that and who does what she wants when she knows that she probably never will. Mm. One of the things that came to mind as I was reading it, and you mentioned Temi, like people thinking she's a witch, and and I <laughs> I referred to her as supernatural, and I, I wasn't really joking. Like there's there's something beyond. <laughs> One of the literary precedents I thought for her was was Fight Club. I thought like she's like the Tyler Durden to the wife. Mm. Um, and and I was ready. I was and look, I'm not going to tell anybody how how it ends, but I was I was ready for anything by the end. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, T- Temi's um, her her presence as that that uh, the, is it the id. I, I'm not good on my Freudian uh, constructs, but she is. <laughs> yeah, she is the the um, the un uh, un uninhibited uh, un untethered version of of the wife. I guess that's what she gets from it. Another literary precedent that came to mind. And then I immediately dismissed uh, mm-hmm. was Edward Albee, um, who's afraid of Virginia Woolf, mm-hmm. mostly because of the sort of interior aggression of it all. But but of course, that's a stage play and everyone's saying what they what they what they feel. And we're, we're getting things out loud. This is a profoundly interior uh, interior book. I wonder, was there was it always going to be so interior? Was there ever going to be more? dialogue where they're going to be um i mean when i look at a page of it it's uh it, it the way it sits on the page is is long paragraphs um where they're just narrated and if a character says something it's 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 the narrator is saying and then and then and then temi said this and then my husband said that um there are, we're not breaking things into quotation marks we're not we're not we're not indenting and 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 breaking things up it it really is a flow of um of interior monologue um were, was there ever consideration to to take it in a more dialogue heavy way? No, because I suck at dialogue. Um, <laughs> I find it I genuinely like I find it really hard. And I was talking to another writer about this yesterday. I said um, when I realized because she was saying that you know she struggles with dialogue sometimes and she isn't really sure what to do about that. And I was like, if you don't, if you're not good at dialogue, just don't do as much. That's what I did. And like I know my strengths. My strength is not dialogue, so I do less of it. Hmm. Um, and I think also I, I I wanted to keep it so interior because I thought, A, because of that unreliable narrator thing, we're seeing everything through the eyes of the person who is, and the mouth, I guess, in the way of the person who is saying what's, describing what's happening. And so whether or not they're saying what the person actually said and delivering it the way they said it um, is all down to whether or not you believe that they're telling the truth. And so I think breaking it out and they wouldn't feel like that monologue. And also these are all very self-centered people, let's be honest. Um, <laughs> they're not the most humble, generous people in the world. Um, so they are very much happy to hear their own voices and to hear other people's opinions through their own lens, whether or not those opinions are correct or whether they're wrong, they wanna hear it through their own voice. Um, 
So it was really important to me to keep everything in a block like that. <clears throat> and one, um, when I was talking to some US editors, one of them did say, oh, you know, and she's really lovely, but she said, oh, you know, maybe we could pull out some of the, um, uh, when we pull out the text or the dialogue, you know, put in quotation marks. And I got up call my agent. We both were like, no, <laughs> we were like, no, we're not doing no. that. Um, the one concession I made is that that text when the wife and the husband are shouting each other up and down the stairs. And I said, okay, I'll pull that out because it is quite hard to figure mm. out who's speaking. Otherwise, otherwise it was, I knew who was speaking because I was writing it, but anybody else might have been extremely confused. And I was like, okay, I will concede that point. So I mm. pulled that out. But um, it was very much keeping that we love the sound of our own voices. And this is what I see. And what I see is the only thing to see. And so it really needed to be like a monologue for me. Like someone was literally in a Shakespeare play doing one or in an episode of Grey's Anatomy they were doing their long monologues or something <laughs> <laughs> I love that the uh that that I've finally shaken a, a literary precedent out of you and it's Shonda Rhimes <laughs> yeah I mean if there was going to be anyone it was it was going to be her <laughs> <laughs> uh, do I understand the seeds of this book aside from its first sentence came from a real life dating situation <laughs> okay uh, yes and no um not from a real life dating situation but from a conversation about dating yeah. um I had started seeing someone and I was talking to my best friend Grace about it and she's the one who the book is dedicated to um and I was like oh I really like him da, 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 da. and she was like oh now you're gonna get a boyfriend I'm never gonna see you blah 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 and I was like no yes understand that you come first and I was like joking but I wasn't joking um and <laughs> so then I thought to myself hmm actually I wonder what would happen if there was a situation where a best friend and her the partner really didn't get along. And then that first sentence and those next couple of lines, that's where they came from. Um, but thankfully, no, I have not. Well, when that relationship ended, she did hate him. But during, she was mostly okay with him. So it was fine. <laughs> it's just being a good friend of like, once he's yeah. your ex, he's, he, yeah, exactly. He's, he's, yeah, he's dead exactly. to us. Yeah, yeah. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't like him either. Uh, that's it. There's, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> um you you narrated the audiobook yourself is that correct did i no no thank god because no. um that would have been terrible for everybody involved um yeah. no thank goodness <laughs> but i think i posted some very misleading pictures basically i went to the studio when they were recording mm. and we took some uh we did some sort of social media with the uk team and so i was sitting by the in the booth like with the thing in front of me so it made yeah. it look like i was reading it but uh. i was just extremely misleading i was being an unreliable narrator um, and so I had a couple of my friends were like, oh my God, you're narrating it. And I was like, oh my God, no, <laughs> I would never do that. I haven't even, I think I've listened to like a two minute clip here or there of the podcast I've been on so far because I hate the sound of my own voice. Um, so I just don't listen. <laughs> but um, no, thankfully I haven't. Three very gifted um, actors have done it. So we've got a different one person for the wife, the husband, and the best friend, and they both have like incredible voices. And so I was listening to... Um, the actress narrate the wife when I went in and she just did such a great job. And I was just like, I will really need to listen to this audio book because I know it's going to be amazing. And she just nailed, she nailed the droll tone that mm. I told my audio editor about her having. And she just nailed it so perfectly. Like she sounds so uninterested the whole time. And I was like, this is perfect. <laughs> it, yeah. Uh, I'm well, I'm glad to hear that. I'm so this, how do, how do I say I'm glad to hear it? Because it's unusual for authors <laughs> yeah. to narrate their own audiobook. Yeah. So I was, I was surprised. 
Uh, I should have <laughs> I should have persisted in my research and gone ahead to like, did this really happen? Do we have audiobook credits that I can look at? Because <laughs> uh, because uh, this one this one's ripe for a, for a three hander. It's uh, it's it, it's perfect for that. You also worked in editorial for several years. Can you tell me about the types of books you worked on? So um, the area I worked in was a what we would call a commercial literary imprint um, called Borough Press. So we did um, some commercial books and we did some literary books. But we did like a, and also did books that kind of straddled the in between, kind of kind of like mine, kind of straddles that in between. Um, so I worked with authors like Tracy Chevalier, who is one of the most lovely people I've ever met. She is so lovely. Um, and sometimes you go into things like that thinking that, you know, authors who are super successful will have this pomp and everything. But, but she's just like just a generally and lovely to everybody as well. Mm. It doesn't matter what level you work. Because I met her when I was editorial assistant and she was just so lovely to me. And she's always has been. She's been like such a great support. Um, and I worked on the books that I actually I worked on a book called Of This Our Country, which um, I created with a friend of mine who was working there at the time, which was um, a collection of essays by Nigerian writers about their, their experience of being Nigerian, what it means to them. Um, and that was amazing to work with because I worked with writers like Ayobami Adebayo. Um, I've worked with writers like Caleb Femi. I've now suddenly forgotten all the names of the right, other writers that I worked with on that book. <laughs> but I, I worked with basically just like some really, uh, Helen Habila, people like that, like just some really amazing writers. Um, and um, oh my goodness, she wrote a book called Chigozi Obioma, who wrote The Fisherman um, mm. and Longlisted for the Booker Prize and Shortlisted, I think, as well. Just like, an amazing set of writers and that was really amazing to do um but yeah basically books that straddled that either commercial or military or that sat really squarely in between um and yes yeah, so I started as editorial assistant and worked my way up to commissioning editor I understand you learned how to do that work of being an editor um not through uh anybody you know apprenticing you or anything like that but you you just you just checked out the editorial notes of other editors you were it's kind of an archaeological uh yeah. self-education tell me about that learning process what did you find helpful in that um well two things i found helpful both seeing their comments and also the notes that they'd written the editors but also then seeing other drafts where the authors had replied and seeing how they responded um, because I could tell that with all the all the editors, and I'm sure all editors do this, um, they would, even if they were writing like, you know, a comment about um, how something, you know, wasn't really working well, a few sentences above, they would have complimented another sentence like, oh, love this sentence. And then a few, sent a few layers, lines down, I'm not really sure what this means. Can you elaborate? Or do you think we need this? Um, but they'd always ask the questions in like a really nice way. Mm. So and there's a sensitivity to that. Like, I completely understand. This is someone who's written this work and you're coming in, you're saying, cut, 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 change, change, change. Mm. Explain, explain, explain. Um, and that can be, uh, now having done it myself, that can be very, uh, it can be an emotional roller coaster. So so I, I found really helpful seeing the responses as well as seeing their notes. Um, but yeah, it's funny because I think when I when I became, or when I knew that I wanted to be an editor, I was like, oh, you know, I'm going to get training, da, 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 da. And they were like, no, you don't get training. You just like do it. You just learn. Um, and I remember I had to catch up with my manager at one point and I was like, so what would you, how do you edit? And she was like, what? <laughs> she was like, I don't know, I just do it. Um, and then she was like, oh, I look for this and I, you know, I look at plot and I look at structure and I look at plausibility and, you know, mm. pacing. And I was like, okay, okay, these things make sense. So I was like, okay, these are the things I should look out for. But um, yeah, just just seeing the responses and then looking at their notes generally to see what they were saying and 
when when I agree with stuff, when things didn't make sense and how they phrased things and even how they structured their editorial notes, because some of their notes would be like 10 pages long. And that's a very scary document to look at. Um, as an author, when you get a 10 page document, that's like, oh my God, first chunky paragraph, maybe like three, 400 words that first paragraph. I love this. The story of this is this. You're such a masterful writer. You're fantastic. Okay, I don't think you've got too much to do. Here are some things. And then it's like the next nine pages is all the stuff they want you to do in detail. Um, so, you know, it was it was really helpful to have those notes to look at. And I appreciated them allowing me to do that. And then also doing shadow edits with them. And they would allow me to either write some notes myself or just be privy to when they were writing the edits um, and to have a look and see what the comments were like. So that was really, really helpful to me. It's it's like it sounds like uh like like learning learning how to manage someone else's dopamine levels is sort of <laughs> like it's, it's is a big part of it. Yeah, genuinely, genuinely. Yeah. And the compliment the compliment next to uh criticism thing is honestly really good. Because even in my when I got edits back, I think it's maybe the second round of edits, they'd asked me to add a bunch of words in the second round um with my book. And so I added, I think maybe four or 5,000 words. Um, and then when the edits came back, they'd cut about 3,000 words. And I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> because Are we on the same team? <laughs> yeah. And I could just see so much red and I could see 300 comments in the track changes tab. And I was like, what is going on? But then a lot of them were like, oh my gosh, I love this line. I just forgot how funny this is. Da, 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 da. And I was like, okay, fine. I'll let you have these comments in here. <laughs> Did being a good editor help you to be a good writer? <laughs> um <laughs> yes and no um no because like I said earlier for a long time when I was trying to write because I, I was actually signed to my agent with a completely different book um and then she sent me and then I finished writing it and then she sent me the first round of notes and I was like yeah I don't want to do this book anymore oh they love that <laughs> She's like, oh, maybe you'll come back to it. And to this day, she says, maybe you'll go back to it. And I'm like, Nikki, I'm never going back to it. And I think you need to come to terms with that. <laughs> um, but um, after, I, after I said no to that, I then went through like a year and a half of various other ideas. Um, and I remember the moment, and I don't know how much she enjoys me telling the story, but <laughs> at one point I sent her about 20,000 words of something. And it was very much a kind of like one day type novel. And she read it. And she replies to me, I just don't get it. And I was like, it's it's 20,000 words. And it wasn't a short thing to write those 20,000 words. Could you could you try? I didn't say that, but in my mind, I was like, cool, great. So I just wasted all my time writing all those words. I did 20,000 words. You've given me four. Can I have more, yeah. <laughs> Um, And I was like, um, I think you should try harder. But, you know, the thing is, she was right. And the reason she didn't get it is because it wasn't me. Mm. And... I was using my editorial mind to think what's going to sell really well, what works well in the market, what do people like to read, what's in the charts right now. And just because it's in the charts doesn't mean that you're equipped to write it. Those people probably enjoyed writing that. You are not enjoying writing this. And so in that sense, it definitely did not help because I was too much in the business frame of mind of things. Um, but I would say it did help in that it meant that when it came to doing edits, I understood that there was a reason for them and that you know, even though I did three rounds of edits with my agent before we even submitted it, and I'm thinking to myself, oh my gosh, I'm now going to do another like three or four rounds with these people. I wasn't like, oh, I'm so annoyed that you're making me do this. I was like, you're doing this for a reason and you will see things that I don't see. 
because I wasn't sure that they would see things that I don't see before. Had I not been an editor, I wouldn't have thought that they would have seen things that I don't see. But having been an editor, I was like, oh, you know what? I know that I catch things that they don't catch and I catch inconsistencies. The most important of which, or one of the most important was when Sally Kim, my US editor, pointed out in the first round of drafts, uh, first round of edits, that um, according to her tally, they had drunk 13 bottles of wine and one bottle of whiskey. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and she was so cute about it. She was like, I don't know if this is like a gag or if it's on purpose. <laughs> and she was like, but if it's not, um, maybe you should take some of them out. And what I had just been doing is, I don't know if you've seen um, the first Thor film with Chris Hemsworth. There's that mm-hmm. scene where he's in a, in a bar and he's finished his drink and he just goes, another. That yes. was what I was doing as I was writing. I was just like, and another, and another, and another. <laughs> just like adding bottles of wine, even though they hadn't finished ones from before. Mm. I was just adding other bottles of wine in. And I had to go through, I was laughing as I did it. That was probably the most enjoyable piece of that editing. <laughs> I did just go through and be like, Haha, whoopsie, they're drinking three bottles of wine at the same time. Should probably delete that. Because they would have been, they would have been paralytic. They would have been on the floor. They would have had serious um, internal organ issues, probably organ failure at that point. So um, yeah, I think it helped and it also didn't help, but ultimately Mm. it helped, I would say. Mm. So that was, that was something I wanted to ask you about that because that that was something you looked forward to then you, you wrote knowing what the editorial process would do for you, that you could, that, that your job was to finish the draft and then, you know, go get, go get the Gatorade and get your bagel and banana at the end of your marathon. And, <laughs> and there would be time to review the tape there. W- this would be part of it that you were not done, that there would be more race to run. Uh, that seems like a thing that's actually probably exceedingly rare for, for a debut novelist to, to have that wisdom of, of, of that work process. It's also one of the reasons why, because after the third round of edits, my agent said to me, okay, so we can do one more round or we can submit it. And I was like, babe. I love you so much and you've done great work here but I think someone's going to need to pay me if I do any more work on this book (laughs) so she's like okay fine (laughs) but one of the first things she said when I sent the book to her is that um after she'd read it she was like I think there's definitely some work we can do here to really make this even stronger and she said I think a better book will make for a better deal Mm. and I said that I was like I mean of course you're gonna say that you love editing you know this is your moment where you can do some editing blah 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 but she was absolutely right because the ending of the book was completely different before she said to me, we need to take things up a notch. That ending is not cutting the mustard. And when I think now to what the ending was before, I shudder because it was mm. so bad, so bad. Mm. <laughs> and I think I would have been horrified to have seen that out in the world. <laughs> but um, she, and think she didn't even tell me what to do. She was just like, we need to kick it up a notch. It's not, it's not doing what it needs to do right now. Mm. And she just picked out some things that I'd already mentioned. She was like, can you bring this out a bit more? And can you bring this out? And I think honestly, that's one of the things that editors and agents who edit are really good at doing, just saying this thing really works. You need to bring this out a bit more. And this thing doesn't work. You need to take this down a bit more. Um, the thing that they're not good at doing though, and I don't think I ever said this, unless maybe I did, I probably did to be fair, I'm just pointing a finger, is when I think Sally and my UK editor Jacob both said this one point, can you make this bit funnier? No, I cannot. What I can do is delete it <laughs> because I can't make it funnier. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the moment you ask me to make something funnier, it's no longer funny anymore. <laughs> so we're just gonna, we're just gonna cut it. <laughs> yeah, there will, there will be no punch up round for this edit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ore, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. 
I have been speaking with Ore Agbaje Williams, author of The Three of Us. Find it and all the books we spoke about, including the ones uh, whose names and contributors Ore didn't have at her fingertips. That's not her job. <laughs> That's why we run bookstores and have uh, credits. Visit us at kobo.com slash conversation. The show notes have a link. Make it easy. Subscribe in your podcast player. Catch every episode. And if you enjoyed this one, tell somebody. You have it in you to be a persuasive friend in a story of your very own. Kobo in Conversation is produced and occasionally hosted by me, Nathan Maharaj. Thank you for listening.